Welcome back to Travoltine Presents Easy Riders. Hosted by Jeff Sweeney and Stuart Elmore. Covering 1969. Enjoy the episode. Got my first reusing string. Bought it at the five and dime. Do you know that word? Played it till my fingers bled. What's the podcast of '69? That was good. That was that's right, folks. That was very good, Jeff. We are here talking about the motion picture, 1969. You had the lyrics pulled up, right? I did have the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. I I knew you did not know that song. I know the tune. I didn't know the words. Yeah. Well, yeah. I feel like that's everybody for this Um, song. But yeah, this week, um, we're not just talking about, if we're talking numbers, we're not just talking about 1969, we're talking about no. the softest 6 out of 10 I've given in my time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, This is a soft 6 out of 10. Very soft 6 out of 10. Yeah. A little over 50%. Yeah, like slightly over 50%. It's pleasant enough. Pleasant enough. A gentleman 6. <laughs> That's good. This <laughs> is a gentleman 6. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, first and foremost, thank you for listening last week to our episode on Beetlejuice. We hope you enjoyed it. I know it was like twenty hours long. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we don't we don't say this lightly, but we 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 really enjoyed having Brian and Trina, or yeah. sorry, Scott and Trina, come and talk about Beetlejuice. Yes. Um, Beetlejuice, just a really good. Oh shit! He's already done his thing. He's not coming back. <laughs> He's not coming back. He's not coming back. I'm really traumatized. Yeah. From that. traumatized from what happened. It's really upsetting. Fucking traumatized. Yeah. You know, if you can't tell, we're doing a few things differently on this podcast, like yes. me doing the intros and covering women. Yes. <laughs> but of course, we can't stray too far off of our traditions, as you yes. all heard. Um, it was last week. I warned you guys. I'm just saying, I warned you. He didn't warn me. <laughs> I warned you that that some things might happen. If you don't know what we're talking about, please go back and listen to our Beetlejuice episode. Yes. Um, but we're not talking about Beetlejuice this week, though it is important context that we'll get into. Yeah. Um, because we're talking about 1969. Uh, motion picture directed by Ernest Thompson. And yeah. Of course, this is Easy Riders. We're covering the films of Winona Ryder. Yes. Um, and but there are, some, there, are, there are two other actors. In this are, motion picture. That we simply must talk about. Yes. Because they're the forefront of this movie. Yes. I mean, as we talk about Winona Ryder's early career, um, she's... She's been we we've covered like a starring role in um, um the farm movie. Yes. <laughs> farm <laughs> the, uh, Square Dance. Uh Dallas, right. I remember. <laughs> yeah. The movie was called Farm Movie. Who shot JR? Who shot JR, yeah. yeah. Uh Square Dance? Yeah, that Square Dance. That was the name of the movie. We're co- we're not like recording these too far out of like, you know, like months later. Like we did the do record the episode for this like a week ago. Yes. Literally a week ago. But we are f- recording these very much ahead. You folks are listening to this um, in December of 2023. I'd like to say the se- the moment we were recording this, mere hours ago, Kevin McCarthy was removed from his position as Speaker of the House. And I would like to uh, offer Travolting's official position on this matter, uh, which is LOL. All right, back to <laughs> the important business. Back to important business. Uh, 1969. A good year. Yeah, one of the most pivotal years in American history. That this movie is... <laughs> you stayed away for calling it a good year. That like this that. movie is interested in kind of talking about. It a, has... A little bit. Occasional ideas. <laughs> it is sometimes willing to make a point. Um, yeah. But before we delve into the American context of the year... Um, We're going to go into 
the writer. The win- yeah. The Winona context. Yeah. Uh, because as I preface every week, um, I'm reading Winona Ryder, a biography of Winona Ryder up to the movies that we're covering, kind of just have bring some context about her life and career to this point. Yes. Because we're picking up with her after Beetlejuice, which was her biggest, like it was a massive success. Yeah. She so, made so, like that introduced her to the large audience of the world. Big chapter of the book. Yes. Big chapter of the book. Um, and after Beetlejuice, her, you know, capital in Hollywood skyrocketed. Um, yeah. Uh, and her social capital as well within the larger context of the U.S. Like people knew who Winona Ryder was now. Yeah. After Beetlejuice. And so that gives her some problems. Um, in her personal life, because oh. you know, Beetlejuice, she's immediately recognizable. She's still in school. She is fifteen, going on sixteen in Beetlejuice. Yes, she... born in seventy one. This movie comes out in eighty eight, but she's born in October. She's a late seventy one yes. birthday, which means she's sixteen during the filming of this movie. Yes, she's sixteen in this movie. Um, roughly fifteen in Beetlejuice. Right. These movies come out the same year. Right, so she might have been just turning sixteen. Yes. During while Beetlejuice was filming, probably. Yeah. That's she's roughly like fifteen, sixteen during the production of this movie. Yeah. Um I don't right. know the exact times that this movie filmed. It kinda of looks like, you know, a summer fall. But that being said, I'm sure for what you're about to say, like a huge impact. Yes, huge impact on her life. Um, which goes into why this movie comes out the same year as Beetlejuice. So she goes back to school. Um, she's no longer homeschooled, she's in, you know, actual um, high school. Yeah. Um, and immediately everybody now knows who she is. She's described as, she describes like having weird looks in the hallways. People kind of bully her over it. Uh, she develops a stalker at that, you know, at the age of 16. She now has a stalker. Terrifying. And so she's just desperately, she goes back to school and she's like, the first thing she wants is, I just need to get out of here. I need to work on something. What are the movies I'm available for? Like, what, what am I getting? And so she like kind of she goes through all the scripts. She just she's getting a lot of scripts um, being sent her. Mm-hmm. Um, and a then fifteen year old, yes, <laughs> um, incredibly impressive. You know, she, just in the two perform three performances she's had, she's I was deciding what classes I was going to take in high yeah. school, deciding I, between theater ed and like speech. <laughs> I was in a school play um, and getting extremely excited that Disney was had purchased Lucasfilm and announced Star Wars Episode Seven. Um, Wait, that was when you were like 15, 16? Yeah. I was a freshman in college. Fuck, I'm old. Yeah, you're old. I, I would have been a sophomore in high school at the time. Roughly. Roughly. Fuck me. All right. Anyway. Um, and so this is... Reading the, a lot of scripts. Yes. This is the one script where she's like kind of interested in the material. Okay. Um, she doesn't like the script very much. Mm-hmm. She, I believe, describes this as she describes it as a mediocre script. Yeah, um, it didn't really get any yeah. better. She said mediocre script, but it's a movie that's filming right away, um, and it's like a decent role for me. If that's the bar, then yeah. she that's yeah, yeah it's a decent enough. role for me. And my parents were hippies. Yeah, and she's like, well, that's that. This at least it's it. You know, will get me to delve a little more into my parents' history and time. Yeah, period. Folks, we know you can hear the AC, but it is 88 degrees in Chicago in yes. fucking October. It's October 3rd. We're not turning it off. Anyway. Um, and so her parents are very involved in the anti-war movement in the 60s. And she's like, well, that that interests me. Is that that context of this? Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, she doesn't like the script. So she kind of 
half-asses her audition for the movie. She's like, I am not going to not go out there, but I kind of hope I don't get the movie. Mm. And then she got the movie. <laughs> That's how and it she's usually like, goes. Well, I got the movie, and I'm going to do it because it, it gives me work. Um, she's like, well, no one's ever going to see this movie, so I'm not too concerned about it, um, which is kind of prescient because we had a difficult time watching this movie. Yes. Um, I had to order a DVD for it um, and then provide you with the file off the DVD. Wait, that was the only way to watch wait, this movie. Did you rip the movie off? Yeah, rip that, dude. <laughs> um, her exact quote um, at the end of this was, I did it because I was 16 years old, really bored, and wanted to work. Which, like, relatable stuff. Honestly, yeah. Um, she says basically the only thing she gets out of this movie is that Robert Downey Jr. is a huge inspiration for her um, through the production of this movie and then afterward. And that he kind of gave her the mentality to have on set. Yeah. Because we've talked through, like, Square Dance, her work with Jason Robards, and I am forgetting the actress who plays her mom's name in that movie. Me too. Um, but through the two of them, she kind of develops like how to function on set um, and how to you know get by the time that's mm-hmm. waiting and how to appear natural on the screen. She says Robert Downey Jr. taught her how to have joy in the process of making these things. Interesting. She says every day he would like come in in the best spirits. Um, and just instill in everybody the importance of having a good time on set. Um, hmm. <laughs> and obviously, Robert Downey Jr. has a lot of his own problems um, um, at this time with substance abuse. Yeah. Um, but through, even you know, in his recovery period, it does very much seem like he's a guy who likes his job and is very you know hell bent on making sure that like his job is fun. Yeah. He doesn't want to be there if he's not having a good time. I won't say he's like early in his career in this movie but i'm looking at his imdb and i don't see any like like major hits he is early in his career in the sense that he started his first movie is when he's four years old yes Um, or i believe it was when he was four let me see he was born in 65 first movie is 1970 yeah pound because he plays a puppy in like one scene i've watched the scene online it's it's very cute got it um, but he's like 22, 23 in this movie. So it, it's early in the sense of a normal actor, but not necessarily for him. Right. He had already done Back to School, Weird Science, Less Than Zero, several other things. Yeah. Um, he would, you know, he would be a great subject for the show. If our show is kind of about these actors who have big blow or like collapses and then yeah, I mean, comebacks. That one seems to be have been st- staring us in the face, though. That's like He's like maybe the most obvious subject for this show. Which is why I almost don't want to cover him. <laughs> because he's so obvious. Because he would be fun because he has been in like a lot of interesting art movies in and the some... first half, and the second half would be... Blockbuster Boy. <laughs> let me run you through Robert Downey Jr.'s 2010 through 2019. Um, l- let me read you the roles he played in that period of time. Uh, Tony Stark, Iron Man, Rob, Peter Hyman, Sherlock Holmes, Tony Stark, Iron Man, Tony Stark, Iron Man, Hank Palmer, Marvin, Tony Stark, Iron Man, Tony Stark, Iron Man, Tony Stark, Iron Man, Tony Stark, Iron Man, Tony Stark, Iron Man. It'd be kind of fun to do that. <laughs> Every week we'd come back and just be like, all right, Spider-Man week and revolting, folks. <laughs> Man, um, yeah, you are kind of right. But it is almost like too obvious and yeah. it is like staring us in the face. Yeah. That's a season 
five or six or seven. Yeah. He's a very obvious one that we can that we can kind of put on the back. Burner. I don't want to do him after Winona Ryder. Yeah. But maybe we do him like a few after Yeah, we'll, we'll do him sometime down the line. We yeah. have a lot of people who like fit into this mold. Didn't we already come up with a name for what his hypothetical podcast would be? That we I need? pitched it should be called Robert Podcast Jr. <laughs> That's maybe so not the best type. I love you, Jeff. That is the dumbest name. <laughs> Robert Podcast Jr. That is so stupid. <laughs> and I love you. You usually have some no, really good the, ideas. The action name would be Downy and Out. I for can, down and out. I can. I can. There's yeah. bet. There's other ones we can. It's not the next series. We've just said this, one, so we have time to figure it out. Yeah. Um. Anyway, um. There's also another actor in this movie. Yes. Um. Let me really quickly finish. Yeah. yeah sorry. The, sorry. The Winona. You keep doing your thing. Because I am now. I we just got in the RDJ corner. Um, yes. But she, you know, she gets the role. She learns a lot from Robert Downey Jr. during production. And then it comes out, and she still to this day kind of considers it a mistake to do this movie. Mm-hmm. She She's like, I don't have necessarily regrets. It's just like it wasn't – I was trying to be selective in my roles and only do things that were artistically interesting to me, and I kind of just did this one because I had nothing else going on. Yeah. Um, but that's where she she comes into the movie. Um, movie's directed by Ernest Thompson, as I said earlier. Um, he's a playwright for the most part. Um, he wrote he wrote the play on Golden Pond and then wrote the film adaptation, which he did uh, secure him an Academy Award for mm. Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah, which is why it's funny that the script for this movie is very milk toast because uh, this guy is like in a very long term established playwright. Yeah, he didn't he get nominated for an Oscar or one? He won an Oscar for, for on Golden Pond. Yes. Yeah. So it is very weird that it is that. Yeah. From beginning, the script was milk toast per Winona. Yeah. And the production of the script was also yeah. milk toast. This is the first movie he directs. Well, that also makes sense. <laughs> Bless you. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> movie folks enjoyed that. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is the first movie he directs. Um, and he doesn't really do much else of like major note in terms of directing. Yeah. He does... He, directs a movie called The Penis Responds at some point hmm. um, that no one's ever seen. The Penis Responds. And then he does another live TV adaptation of On Golden Pond. It's like he's he's kind of just known as the On Golden Pond guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, I'm, and guess what? I've not heard of On Golden Pond. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of his thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so movie gets made um, and then we can kind of delve into it. Yeah, well... Kiefer Sutherland's in this movie. Kiefer is in this movie. And I would say he is like the closest to a lead I can think of. Yeah, he's definitely the main character of the movie. It's like he's got like 60% of the screen time. I would say he's, he's yeah, he's got 55% of the screen time. Yeah. Downey has 40. Winona has 5. I would give Winona a little more than 10. that. Yeah, like 10 to 15. 50, 40, 10. Yeah, she kind of doesn't really get much to do until the end of the movie. Yeah, because kind of because kind of the movie like it's Kiefer and RDJ, and then when RDJ gets locked up, Winona kind of takes his spot as like Kiefer's it was Usain Downey getting locked up for me. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, yeah, Downey getting locked up for playing a guy who has a substance abuse issue. Um, poor guy. Yeah. Well, Kiefer at this point he is coming two years just off of two major hits of his, Stand yeah. by Me and Lost Boys. So it's no doubt at all in my mind of like, of course, he's like got the majority of the screen time in this movie. He's like the most 
I mean, Winona's up there too, but he is like very much like the the most popular known actor at this time. Yes. And I'd say even more so because this is coming out the same year as Beetlejuice. So Winona's just now getting recognized. Um, yeah, it's like three big up and coming stars anchor this movie. Yes. And so it's very, it's somewhat strange that just the movie doesn't exist for lack of a better term. Right. Yeah. And like, I know you said gentleman six and I agree. There were some good, there were some juicy bits. Th- this movie is well performed. Yeah. Even if like, I don't really care about any of the characters or understand like, that's ultimately what it is. Yeah. There's some good scenes between Kiefer and Downey. Yeah. There's some good scenes between Kiefer and Ryder. Um, it's just that the movie, none of these characters are interesting. It's not even that I don't understand them. I do for the most part understand what they all want. It's just they're not like interesting people. Yeah. You can, you know, you can, an a-, a great actor can do so much with a character, but there's only so much you can do when like your role is just, I kind of am a hippie and, um, but kind of not, but kind of not. And I'm going to give a speech at the end and that's my character. Yeah, we're kind of against the war in Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> that's the big... Well, I mean, if you look at the reviews of this movie, that's like the biggest hit about it, is it doesn't really plant its flag in either direction. It's like a soft core anti-war film. Yeah, it's like the war is bad. That's like kind of <laughs> just what it says. Yeah. It's like maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe that's but we're bad... Don't worry, I'm going to bust my boy out of prison. But especially um, the fact that this movie came out in 88, like yeah. it's almost, it had no reason to be softcore about it. Yeah. Could have been like full out like anti-war. And that is the thing I have about this movie. It's like this movie set in 1969, yeah. as you would expect, which is like one of the most pivotal years in American culture and society. Yeah. It's generally considered, it's a turning point year. Like 969 is the year of Nixon gets inaugurated, the moon landing, Woodstock, the Manson murders. It's like the year when the culture shifts from counterculture and, you know, experimentation of the 60s um, to starting to turn against that. Which And, you know, counterculture kind of ends in 73 with the end of the Vietnam War Mm -hmm. um, and the release of American Graffiti. I could go into it. I'm going to just, I'll talk about it throughout the movie. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) Because, like, you know, counterculture starts in 1963. You're after, getting into after, it. After, <laughs> you after, are getting After into the Kennedy it. assassination, that's kind of, like, when it really starts. Yeah. Kind of, you know, and the escalation of the Vietnam War. It goes through in 69. is kind of the year when the culture turns against it. Uh, Nixon has a big part to do with that. Yeah. The Manson murders have a lot to do with that because he's kind of, like, falsely attributed as, like, being a hippie icon. Yeah. Um, Woodstock and the reaction to it kind of has part to do with it. And then just people just start turning towards, you know, somewhat more normal, pers- like, interests. And the moon landing is like, they're like, that's the next stage. We can forget about all the hippie stuff. Well, and it it's also like in the 70s, there was a lot more funding put into really, really killing the counterculture wave. Yes. Nixon puts a lot into it. Yeah. It's no accident the behavioral analysis unit in the FBI was made in the 70s yes. to catch serial killers who've always existed. But now they become a thing we need to focus on because mm. they're all hippies. Yes. And so 69 is very much that shift here. It's kind of like the really excited last gasp of counterculture being like a force. The hype. The hype. Yeah. Um, and which is something of a shame. Um, but the movie isn't interested in that necessarily. No. 
It's kind of it kind of talks about it as like I mean they keep like alluding to Nixon. The movie just doesn't really have a perspective. Not really. It's just kind of like let's just look at this little snapshot of '69 because it shows you like this is why we don't like Vietnam, but this is why you shouldn't be a hippie. Pointing to both Kiefer's brother and Kiefer's friend. Yes, it's like the movie's trying to say it's like be like Kiefer, yeah. whose name in the movie I don't even remember. I think it's I will only be referring to him as Kiefer. His name is Scott. <laughs> it Didn't could know be that. Bob for all I care. Uh, but yeah, it's like the movie's trying to say like be like Kiefer, have no beliefs. Yes. Just kind of go. This movie has the same philosophies as Forrest Gump, which is like. Yeah. Forrest Gump, which I do want to say, I think Forrest Gump is more satirical. Look at Jeff on his like rant mood. (laughs) This is my favorite period of history. I love it. No, I I love Um, it too. I love it too. Yeah. But Forrest um, Gump, you were saying. I want you to say Forrest Gump is a little, is more satirical than it usually gets credit for. Yeah. And I don't, I think it fumbles the Jenny story so bad that it's kind of hard sometimes to still think about it like that. Um, because Jenny's story is like, she desperately tries to get away from her abusive father and find a life. And then she dies of AIDS. And that is Jenny's story in that movie. Yeah. Um, but for the Forrest Gump, if you look at Forrest Gump, like just remove any hint of satire from it. It's a movie that's like, you know what the best way to live life is? It's be like a, a feather on the wind, baby. Make no choices. Just let life take you wherever it goes and have no input of your own. Be like this guy. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the same idea as this movie. Um, without the satire, it's just like, just kind of like go with it and find the middle ground. Yeah. And you can really like, you know, be be like Kiefer. Well, there's no short supply of movies like this. Yes. Yeah. I, I like movies that have thoughts. That have a well, just perspective. dances, yeah. you know, like that place they plant their flag. Yeah. I will take a movie that has a vile perspective I disagree with over something that's just like, eh, sometimes. I'm I'm not saying anything, but I'm giving Jeff a look. Yeah. Like, are you sure you want to say that, Jeff? Okay. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an actual, I don't have to say the name of the movie and you know what movie I'm, I'm gonna thinking give about. you an actual example. Okay. It's not going to be that. <laughs> you know what movie I'm thinking about, Yes, right? you're thinking Three, about two, Pawn Shop Chronicles. Oh, no, no, no. Different one. Oh, Joker? No. What are you thinking of? White Man's Burden. Oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's a movie that takes a stance. <laughs> that movie definitely takes a stance. Um, <laughs> I, I do mean in a somewhat... Maybe I shouldn't have said vile, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, like, let's let's backtrack on that one just I think a little ba- bit. Batman versus Superman is a movie I think is terrible. I dislike that movie's perspective. I think it is kind of just like this ugly view of its characters. I will take it over The Flash, which has no view of its characters and is not interested in anything. Yeah, that is the best ex- you know popular culture example I can think of of that thought. I've not seen The Flash, and I don't remember anything. That you should watch The Flash just for the. St- it's free. You should watch it just because you have to understand how ugly that movie is. It's maybe the ugliest movie I've ever seen. Would you say it's like the peak of the horrendous like build of the DCEU? Yeah. Every choice that movie makes um, is like cocaine. Every time you're like, here's how you think this movie is going to go. Here's like the logical like continuation of this plot thread. It's like, no, he has to, like, go back in time now and kill himself or kill his mom or something like that. Um, what? <laughs> at the end of the movie is he has to let his mom die. It's like the movie. 
Oh, well, um, that's okay. great. <laughs> um, that's like whatever. The, the the one good scene in that movie is the Ben Affleck scene. <laughs> because it's like it gives a really emotional send-off. Because like, um, it's the last time he plays Batman. He gets like this really emotional little send-off scene. And then the rest of the movie is just bonkers bullshit. Michael Shannon is so... Ch- he, he walks into a scene. He's literally like is looking at a cue card. And it's just like, I am here for Krypton. Or some bullshit like that. <laughs> I'm so sick of these movies. I'm so sick Me of too. them. Score says he was right. Score <laughs> <laughs> says he was right. Yeah. Um. Um. Anyway, do you just want to keep ranting? We don't. Have no. To let's talk. just talk about 1969. Because the first thing I want to point out, and Winona Ryder as Beth. Yeah. She's at the and as stage now. That's yep. big. That is big. It's big that I see Jeff has the DVD and I see yes. it and it has one of the writer's face and name on it. But if you look up like IMDB and you look at the poster of this movie, it's like a very like little woman, classical S like poster Yeah, with Winona on the left, Downey in the middle, Kiefer on the right. And the top two names is Downey Jr. And Kiefer. Yes. And I would argue I could be wrong. People will probably disagree. Winona's got a little bit more street cred than Downey at this point. Yeah, I mean, he has more street cred overall. She has more in this exact moment. Yeah. Like, she has just exploded off of Beetlejuice, and Downey's, like, kind of just established himself in a larger sense. Yeah, just from the amount of movies he's done. Yeah. But he hasn't won an Oscar, been nominated for an Oscar, or has a yeah. billion-dollar hit yet. Yeah. Winona has, like, not billion-dollar hit, but you know what I mean. Like, she yeah. has a cult classic. He's established hands. himself at this point as, like, a name. Um, yeah. Bob. Bob. Bob Downey. <laughs> Bob Downey. It's so funny when you see people call him Bob Downey. Because, yeah. like, apparently all, everyone in his personal life just calls him Bob. It's so funny. That is very funny. Um, but and as is such, like, it's, you know, she's made it. She's she's there. She's there. And year after this, or not year after this, same year. Yes. Heathers. Heathers. Good fucking Can't lord. Can't wait to talk about Heathers. 1988 with this woman. Um, Movie starts off. Yes. And it's, it's it does the classic home video opening, mm-hmm. where it's you know the the shitty sixteen millimeter um, footage of Kiefer and um, Downey uh, graduating, graduating high, school. high school. Yeah, and they're like the the family dynamic in this movie is weird because it is. Kiefer who lives with his mom and dad and his brother, right? Um, and then there's Downey who lives with his sister and his mom. Their dad is dead. Right. But they kind of operate as one big family unit and do everything together. Because Downey's mom... Well, they established later that Downey's mom and Kiefer's dad are having a thing. It seems that... Later. Yeah, it seems that they start that later. But at, but I get yeah. what you're saying in the beginning. It's almost yeah. like they're the, like the next door neighbor family unit. Because when they go to drop the brother off for his bus trip to Vietnam... Uh, Downey's mom is there. Downey's mom is in the car with Kiefer. <laughs> Or Kiefer's dad. Because Kiefer's mom, Kiefer's brother's mom, yeah. same, doesn't go with yes. them to send off their yeah. son to Vietnam. Yeah. They send me to Vietnam. Vietnam. Um, and But there's that one scene where she's like running and waving. Yeah. And she just says like, don't die. Good scene. I like it. Performance wise, performance wise, yeah, yeah. I like the I like the concept of that scene. If the movie was interested in that stuff, that would be you know a yeah. good thread. Yeah, 
Um, it's interesting that this is like one of the very first scenes in the movie that, yeah. and then just the rest of the movie doesn't. Yeah, because do there's anything. that home video opening, and then we pick up with Downey and Kiefer hitchhiking, hitchhiking their way back from college to small town Maryland, giving or something. It's like some gathering. It, it's for, for I his think brother the brother leaving. Leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They okay. never say. Um, I don't think they ever say the town in Maryland, do they? It's just in Maryland. Don't, don't yeah. ask me. <laughs> I don't um, remember. But after, you know, unsuccessfully hitchhiking with um, a gay guy. Um, yeah. Like trying to look at Kiefer's penis and... T- touch him and grope him. Yeah. It's, it's like, like I didn't know you were married. And um, make those kind of jokes, which are dated now. Yeah. The the camp out overnight, and then the, the next morning, make it back into town, and they come across a big, like, church service. That Winona Ryder is at. Yeah, Winona is, like, the the youth yeah volunteer or something yeah it's great to know that it's the third movie where winona Ryder is a very devoted woman to a deity yes beetlejuice (laughs) being the devil yes (laughs) (laughs) hope you like italian yeah where would it come from right Um, yeah um, but this one she's back to her square dance yeah back to her square dance days yeah but you know she breaks away from that conformity off screen (laughs) and then at the end it's like a hippie yeah right um and so she's there, and then the two of them come in. They, they link up with their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, Kiefer's dad, played by Bruce Dern, giving a very nice, tender performance. Yeah. Um, I, I, lo- I, th- I think the uh, Marriott Hartley. Yeah. Uh, playing. Uh, no, sorry. Different person. Different person. Uh, Joanna Cassidy plays Kiefer's mom. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I like The two of them like, are very good. I, like I, I love Bruce Dern. Great yeah. guy. Um, yeah. And. You know, we, they link up with them. The next scene is Kiefer linking up with his brother, whose name is Alden, um, who's a Marine who's being deployed to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I, do, I don't think it says if he was drafted or if he volunteered. I think he volunteered. Y- yeah, I'm pretty... It Vibe is he volunteered. Because yeah, one thread that annoys me about this movie is that at the end of the movie, the reveal that the dad was in, fought in World War II... Um, which feels like something you should bring up at the start. Yeah. I mean, and because then you understand everybody a little more. If like the son is volunteering. But to what imp- point was it trying to make with bringing it up that he fought in World War II? Well, it's that, you know, you get the vibe that Alden is volunteering to impress his dad, um, Bruce. Right. And, but you never quite know why he's trying, like, what is the... Imp- that his dad's, like, either pro-patriot yeah. or something. It just like- seems like his dad's, like, a conservative. <laughs> who's like, yeah. He's like, I'm going to be, I guess I'll be a military guy for you. Yeah, right. If it's like, well, we were, this is a military family, then you understand yeah, that... Yeah, and he, you establish that at the forefront, like you said, Jeff, yeah. Instead, I, the movie establishes that at the end. Which doesn't, like, we're a whole movie in at that point. Yes. Having no idea why he was in there in the first place. Yes. Um... At one point, Kiefer in narration says that in this town, the 60s never happened, and everything's still like... It's like the 60s didn't happen until, like, the 70s or whatever. Yeah. It's like it's still a town that's locked in, like, the 50s, you know, Americana vibe and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but Alden's going to Vietnam. Kiefer is, like, basically... is very opposed to this. Um, and kind of yells at him about it. They get mm. into a little fight. Burstern breaks it up um, and tells him, like, you need to love you and support your brother. He's a hero. And then they take Alden to the bus. Yeah. He gives Kiefer his car. Mom doesn't come with. Yeah. Um, It seems like the mom is kind of anti-war. But quietly anti-war. Quietly anti-war. 
which yeah. would have been great for the movie to kind of do Explore. anything with. Yeah. Um, and it had opportunities too. It has a lot of opportunities. Also, I don't know if you picked this up. I thought thought the brother was kind of weirdly styled like a Nazi. He kind of has like oh, blonde hair and yeah. like the Nazi cut and the the like the 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 flat top cut. Yeah, like not yeah. even the flat top is like. Um, Are you trying to think of like Dolph Lundgren cut? No. Um, bring up this. He looks like this fucking kid from Cabaret. Um, who's sings tomorrow belongs to me who's like the little nazi hitler youth kid oh he's like weirdly dressed like i guess i didn't clock that i i don't know if it was intentional or if it's just that the actor happens to look like that it just felt like i was like oh are we gonna do anything with this and they didn't they didn't so i don't know i didn't didn't clock anything maybe he just looked like that and sucks to be him Um, yeah yeah uh then we get some college life yeah, we, we cut back to the drive back to college with Alden's because car. Because the brother gave Kiefer, Kiefer yeah, the Kiefer car. Yeah, Kiefer is given his brother's red convertible. Yeah. They're back in college, and Kiefer is using a spyglass out the window and looking at girls. Yeah. And kind of being like, look at all these hotties out here. He's laying on his bed in front of a poster for The Graduate, uh, which is the least subtle homage. Like, I was like, I'm making The Graduate, and I'm like, let's hold up here, Ernest. Yeah. Um, um, and Downey is smoking pot yeah. in the room. Kiefer throws the roach out of the yeah. window. And Again, like, it's like, it's like the thing where it's like, you want to take a hit or it's like, Oh, can I take a puff? And it's like, you mean a hit? Yeah. Like, Cause it's trying to establish that like Kiefer's like a, 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 a wannabe hippie, yeah. but not a he's wannabe like hippie. Mid. He's a mid he's very hippie. Mid. He's a midi. He's very beta male. Yeah. Yeah. Beta cuck. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Like beta alpha male talk. It's so silly. It's so silly. It's so stupid. Because <laughs> then somebody at work, uh, yeah. By the way, I'm I'm not unemployed anymore, ish, yeah. kinda. Um, but somebody at work was telling me about like. They asked me about like, what do you think about? Because some of the folks at work now know that I used to work in film. Yeah. And they were like, "Have you ever like, uh, what are your thoughts on American Psycho? I'm like, it's an okay movie. Yeah. Like, it's good fine. movie. I like it. Yeah, it's fine. And he's like, oh. What do you think about like the Sigma male? I'm like, what the fuck is a Sigma <laughs> male? He's like, well, that's like what like Patrick Bateman is like. He's like a Sigma male. You're like so in tune that you're out of tune. You know what he is? He's a psychopath. Yeah, that's why I said it's like so. Are Sigma pa- males like psychopaths? Because that's what I think about when people say alpha males. Yeah. When they say alpha male, it's like, oh, you're talking about like a like a like a douchebag. Yeah, like that's what an alpha male is, right? Yeah. And now, yeah, the the they are trying to say like an alpha male is the guy who takes charge. It's like, no, it's just a guy who's an asshole. Yeah. Like beta males. You don't be a beta male. You don't be a submissive old bitch, right? And it's like, you mean like kind and courteous yes. and like understanding and in tune with emotions? How fucking imbecilic yeah. of you. It, it's all so just, the, it's just the continuation of the toxic dude, masculinity. Yeah, dudes who just like want to, you know, feel like they're tough. Go to therapy, guys. Yeah. Um, therapy, go yeah, to Everyone go to therapy. therapy. Everyone go to therapy. Anyway, sorry. So it's my turn we, to have a rant. Yes, we Jesus all deserve this Christ. moment. <laughs> so they're looking out the window. Spying on some um, girls. And then Kiefer's like, look at this hottie. She kind of looks like your sister. And then turns around, it's it Winona. Is, it is Winona. Who's um, he's yet like, oh, to, fuck, it is your sister. Yeah, who is yet to graduate from a high school yet, but she's yeah. looking at the school to go to. Yes. And so they talk with her. She's a senior. 
and she's a senior, and they're like, well, like, why do you want to come to state? It's like, I only want to go to, like, a Ivy League or whatever. It's like, it looks fine here or yeah. whatever. When I was, like, kind of experimenting with, um, like, um, hippie ideology. Yeah, that's like what the movie's trying to like kind of. She's tell very much. She's dressed very conservatively at this point. But in the movie she's and like a dress teetering on. And it, then yeah. as the movie goes on, she dresses more like you know someone from the counterculture. Um, but she and both their moms are there visiting with her. Yeah, and so Downey and Kiefer are like giving a little tour around, and they come across like a war protest on campus. Mm-hmm. And that they're going to storm a building. Yeah. So they come across a protest, an anti-Vietnam protest. Yeah. Um, where they're going to um, take the administrative building and occupy it. Um, it's like yeah. what the dude says in the Big Basket. He's like, I spent most of my college years uh, occupying various administration buildings. Um, was that what it what it mostly was? Well, it was one of the forms of protest they used. They would just occupy administration buildings. Like they would and just, do what? Uh, they would want the school to come out against. Um, the war and what would that achieve well it did something <laughs> it was just a, it was a foreign protest to get to get publicity okay to me that just like means like oh you don't want to go to class today mm-hmm. like sorry i might yeah anyway it was a strange form of protest um but it, it was what they did um but they they come across it and they all get swept up in it and this is when i noted on my um timeline that the movie has a Jimi Hendrix needle drop exactly 30 minutes in. Yeah. Where it does the, there must be some kind of way out of here. Yeah. Which is like, if Every your movie has anything to do with Vietnam, Vietnam, the song will appear in it. It's either that or, uh, well, CC. well, here's the thing. I said, so in the, in the scene, they all get swept up when Oni gets injured. Yeah. Um, like a, a bleeding child or a bleeding guy falls on her. Yeah. After the police like start assaulting the students. Yeah. Um, they get her out of there. And I was like, and the whole time the my way out of here is playing. And I'm like, if this movie drops like all this movie needs now is to drop Credence next. Yeah. Scene cut. And you just hear Drowning down the bottom of our yeah. fucking getting me. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It right just, on tune with yeah. that as well. It just cuts to them driving and they're listening to Credence in the car. I'm like, of course, of fucking course they are. They're listening to Credence. Um, <sighs> but that was always like a problem. It's like, are, what are you guys? Like, are you saying like they're trying to be anti-war or they're listening to like pro-war like music or like... Or anti- well, it's anti-war music. Um, is it is Credence anti-war? Yeah. Um, it was all... I mean, it was like kind of loose, but it was all Vietnam music. That's what I mean. It's like it was all Vietnam music. Yeah. You'd hear that at in movies taking place in yeah. Vietnam. Because Credence did, I know Senator's song. On. It ain't me. It ain't me. And it was like lyrically anti-war? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. I, I thought Credence was like, not pro-war, but like, it's like when you think about, um, fuck's a movie that used the Wagner song and like the Vietnam attack. Yeah, it's Fortunate, Fortunate Son is a song about, um, being able to buy yourself out of the draft. Uh like go to college and shit like that. Yeah. yeah. It's like I ain't me, ain't me. I know I know Senator Son. Okay. Um so it is a really funny just jump from Hendrix to Credence. Yeah. Um any I watched a Vietnam oh it was Full Metal Jacket. I watched Full Metal Jacket recently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Stanley Kubrick. And at no point in that movie did they use any like Credence <laughs> or uh Jimi Hendrix. And I was like I'm in, insane that it was a Vietnam movie that didn't use it. Well, that's kind of what I thought. It's like, that's a movie that is like anti-war. Yeah. 
and yet it didn't use those songs in it and that's why i attribute credence to being like not again yeah. not pro war but it's yeah. like it's like the background track to all of the it's, Vietnam it's always the background i mean usually the soldiers because a lot of them were drafted would listen to anti-war music yeah um but um that i'm, I'm just, i had a thought sorry um the post steven spielberg movie that we talked about on the show before a movie that I like do a lot. This a movie that I do like a lot. Opening shot of that movie is a helicopter. <laughs> no. Spielberg, not it's you too. The man. only scene in the movie set in Vietnam. <laughs> Which I get it. It's a very easy way to establish your time period in place. It is just jungle, patchy helicopter, yeah. credence. Yeah, anytime Vietnam. there's a, a helicopter in Vietnam, you will hear credence. It is contractually obligated to play. Yeah. Um but they're they're driving around listening to Credence, joyriding. And Kiefer's like kind of driving erratically and so kinda. Yeah. And they're picking up all these hitchhikers. They like five hitchhikers in the back. There's one funny scene where they pick one guy up. It's like, Where are you headed? It's like, Well, I wasn't heading anywhere. Yeah, because he's, like, <laughs> he's just sitting on the side of the yeah, road. Like, I guess I'll to... go visit my sister. Yeah. Um, if you're heading that way. And they pick up a like a Marine, a guy in a full like military dress. Oh yeah. And Kiefer's driving somewhat poorly so Downey says he'll take over and then Downey like speeds at like 200 miles per hour and they're all let us out and they all stop the car and everyone gets out except for Kiefer and Downey yeah um and then that's that's that <laughs> are you also struggling what to don't remember what's no I, I have all the things because there's a lot of like little filler stuff but it's not because the next big scene is Winona graduating that's exactly what I was yeah. gonna say which is a, a I really like this scene I feel like there's something in between though there isn't. Really? Of, like, importance. Why do I feel like we're halfway through the movie already? We are halfway through the movie. No fucking way. Um, God. So we're at Winona's graduation, and she she's, she's the valedictorian. Yeah, and she starts giving, like, a regular speech that quickly spins and turns into, like, anti-war stuff. Yeah. She gives a speech where she's like, I um, was at a protest, yeah. and a bleeding boy fell on me. Yeah. Like, just like Lady Macbeth before me, I was not able to... All I see is the blood. Yeah. Um, out damn spot. Um, and she's trying to... You know, and she's essentially saying that, like, this opened my eyes to this evil war that Nixon's keeping us involved in, yada, yada, yada. The whole time, Bruce Stern is up on the stage, kind of, like, getting a little more pissed. And then... She kind of she... has the crowd. The crowd's into it. The crowd's into it, and Kiefer and Downey are in the rafters, yeah, like, like, cheering yeah. her on. Like, yeah! Um, but Winona's like very much shifted from giving a speech at um, a church service to a church to a speech at about anti-war speech yeah. at her high school graduation. Yeah. Does um, Winona have the most growth in this movie? She does. Yeah. She's and this scene is this is her first like real scene in the movie. Yeah. She's quite good in the scene at the protest, um, but that's mostly just like a kid falls on her and then she's like crying and going through it. Yeah. It's very charming in this whole movie. I realize I haven't really talked much about her performance. Yeah, and I, I, as I was watching this movie, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm picking up a lot of like her, like her, um, patented Winona tendencies. Yes, like it's like the no scruff. Yeah, it's something that she does in yeah. a lot of her performances. It's like that. Well, like I know yeah. people can't see my face, but it's like you know immediately what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, I know what about. you're doing. She's like flustered and can't think of all the yeah. words, so she does a thing where she scrunches up her nose, and she just has the most interesting voice in Hollywood. Yeah. I'll talk about it much more next week with Heather's with Dear Diary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. I'm so ready to read. I, I love Heather's. Um, 
Heather's a much more interesting anti-establishment movie than this. Yeah. Just realize, and you'll talk about this in the in the biography context corner, that it's interesting, you know, she's getting bullied at school, and she's like, I need to just find work. And it was this movie, and then it was a movie about killing bullies. So yeah, like, and like blowing up a school. Makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> I'm just going to talk so much. I'm going to do so many Christian Slater impressions next week. <laughs> Oh, yeah, not ready. You said that like you weren't looking forward to oh, it. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, so I'm now I need to clock that that's your. <laughs> um, okay, so she gives an anti Vietnam speech. Is it? I I like what she's doing in this scene. I like what she does in this movie. Yeah, and then when the speech is over, they're all talking afterwards. Oh, Downey takes LSD. LSD. She, he takes two pills. Or yeah, and tabs. he's trying to talk Kiefer into doing it, but he says no, yeah. no, I don't want to do that. Not here, not now. Yeah. And then next time we see him, he's taking all of his clothes off except for his underwear, and he's giving a speech on the, the stage. stage. And then he like climbs on, he like climbs the rafters, and then swings like Tarzan through. The, the... We are not lying. Like, yeah, this, <laughs> this is, is what legit. Happened. What happened? And if it sounds like that tones of our voice are a little bit reserved it's because it's a little uh yeah it, it's a little yeah. uncomfortable with like how downey's life will go and the actual substance abuse issues he's dealing with at the time of filming this movie and yeah. afterward yeah um i mean obviously very happy that he's you know got doing a doctor do little. yeah yeah well i was gonna say doing oppenheimer <laughs> um but <laughs> doing do a little <laughs> now that he's kind of figured it out and has a you know is very successful and has a strong career now yeah um, but you know, it's rough to see someone kind of playing a role like this, and he's doing when they're going through it, and he's going doing it very well because yeah. he's going through it. Yeah. Um, but he ODs at the end of this. Yes. Doesn't die. He doesn't die, and the movie kind of just then does a time jump, and it's them driving around a VW van, and they this happens off screen that they flunk out of college. Yes. Because it wasn't the LSD incident they got him expelled because that wasn't at college. That was at a high school graduation. Yeah. He does say he got he flunked out while he's high. And then I guess Kiefer just kind of dropped quits, out. Well, he out. he said like he forgot exams. Yeah. Oh, there was a scene exam. in the high school graduation where he's like, by the way, how's how's your exams going? Aren't you in the middle of those? It's like, oh, yeah, I guess I did have those things. Yeah. So they both they both flunked out. And so they're just driving around in a VW van. It speaks to an even more point of like, you're building these scenes where he's saying no to the counterculture. And then you have these scenes where he's very genuine in the whole like, oh yeah, I forgot about those yeah. exams. Like pick a side. Yeah. Pick, pick, pick one movie. Yes. Like if you have it to where he responded to that question, like, oh fuck, we're exams yeah. today. Oh my God. Cause then you're at least like putting a stake in it. You're being like, when no one is the one who goes through the journey in this movie. Yeah. Right? From like kind of a conservative. And yet small it's town through Kiefer's POV. Yes. It's so strange. And his like lesson at the end of the movie is I just need to be more forefrontal with my centrism. Um, well, he does go like full anti-war. Yeah, he does go full anti-war at the very end, but it takes a long time to get there. Yeah. And it's a very quick jump. Yes. Because it, then him and Winona start a relationship. Well, f- first. I know, I know. We'll get there. Yeah. But like, I just wanted to. Yeah. So driving around in this VW van, it's the classic hippie van. He draws a bunch of flowers and leaves on the side of it. And he's like, man, we're just leaves in the wind. I'm like, all right, Kiefer. All right. You say that. Yeah. You, you do that, buddy. Yeah. And Downey's like getting bummed. Yeah, he's Downey like kind of like gets a little more traditional, 
he's like kind of going through an inverse arc. Yeah, he's in like I, he's like, why aren't you like down in the dumps, man? He's like, because we got to get a job. And he's like, man. we just need to get a job and figure it out. Yeah, he's like, we can't just be like, what are you expected to be doing? Like just this? Like we got to like see the real life, man. So now that these kind of flip roles at this point because Kiefer is a little more hippie and yeah. Downey's a little more like traditional. Um, does the brother go missing? Because I don't remember what point of the movie that happened. It's it's after this. It's right after this. Yeah, because they're driving around in this van. They go to like some communes, the um, nudist colony, right? Yeah, the nudist commune. And the at one point they hear uh, they, some uh, woman sings Joni Mitchell's uh, "Both Sides Now." It's great. They go back to their town in Maryland. They find a Winona as a um, what? What's it called? Lifeguard. Lifeguard. Um, I forgot the word lifeguard. They find Winona as a lifeguard at a pool, and they all go to like a town fair. Where I don't remember any of this. Yeah, it's kind of this is the weirdest scene because they go to a town fair and Kiefer finds his mom who's running like a pie booth where you can rent a pie and throw it at Bruce Dern who's dressed like a clown in a like a like one of those you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, um, I just don't remember this yeah. part of the movie. Do you want to know and the next thing I'm thinking of? What? When they go to the courthouse to burn the draft cards. That is almost what happens next. Okay, because I don't remember this section at all. Yeah, so... You watched this an hour ago. I watched this last night. Yes. So they, they're they they're in this whatever. Um, and this is where he's like, have you heard from my brother? And they're like, oh, haven't you heard? He went missing, MIA. Which is And like, Winona goes, missing in action. Um, when they say MIA. And then he runs off because he's he's d- upset that his brother's MIA. Yeah, um, which was one of the classic Vietnam isms that Nixon introduced was putting people as MIA instead of KIA. Um, yeah, to the extent that they were promising families that there were like two, they were like there's still two thousand POWs in Vietnam. We're gonna get them out, and realistically, all those people were dead. Um, giving those families false hope so he can you know inflate his approval ratings. It's a great time to be an American, man. Um, and all those Nixon impressions you do. Yes, because he is very funny. <laughs> he is After very, saying what you just yes, said. Yes, and then he is following up with... A very ver- silly man. <laughs> <sighs> I don't understand you, Jeff Sweeney. Um, Hitler killed six million Jews, but he's yeah. a very silly man. <laughs> very different situation. <laughs> okay, um, all right. Yeah. Bombed Cambodia. But also, H- Hitler like, jokes are funny. Um. When, you know, those downfall videos went viral like 10 years ago. Oh, which is like right. reacts to. Yeah, right. Like, they are funny. Right. Um, I'm, of course, not trying to equate um, the responses of the, the crimes, but um, I, I do think that these people are worth making fun of. Sure. Um, we need to make re- ex- um, emphasize that they are jokes and should be. Yeah. Um, even as they committed terrible things, as Nixon did. That's good. I like that, Jeff. Yes. That was very well said. Thank very you. well spoken. Applause Thank for you. Jeff Sweeney. Yeah. Thank you all. But <laughs> his his brother's missing, um, and he and RDJ kind of, you know, have a, he gets into a fight with his dad at some point about it. Yeah, because um, eventually he kind of just says, like, oh, no, I'm thinking about the scene with the dad and the mom alone. Oh, yeah, he gets in, he kind of gets into an argument with his dad that he's like, you shouldn't have been over there, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And so he and Downey, Downey especially, get, like, nervous that their, their draft numbers might get pulled. Because they're not in college anymore. Yeah. And so the attempt to break into the draft office. Real quick. There's a quick. Oh, wait. No, I think it actually happens after this yeah. scene. 
they, Never mind. they break into the draft office and they're going to try and burn their draft cards yeah. or just steal them. Winona helps them. Yeah, Winona's like their lookout. Yeah. She's there with her dog. Doesn't do a very good job. Yeah, she's terrible at it. Um, yeah. She fucks it all up. Yeah. And so she's at the lookout. And she's like, oh, my dog's here. Um, <laughs> and they're inside. And Downey, like, kicks the window open. And Kiefer's like, how'd you learn to do that? And he's like, I saw it on Mission Impossible. And it is funny that they're I was waiting for referencing this. Mission Impossible. And they're talking about the TV show. Yeah. Which aired in the 60s. Right. It is pretty uh, funny. It is just funny, like, nowadays that if you were to say Mission Impossible gun to it, someone's head... And you're like, Tom Cruise. Tell me every Mission Impossible thing. They would list you the seven movies. Yeah. And be like, oh, there's a show? Like, nobody knows of this show anymore. Except for, like, true fans and people who watch the opening credits of the movie. And they're like, oh, it's just based on a TV show. Um, You know about the show. Yes, because Tom Bruce Geller is great. Um, Jim Phelps. Have you seen um, the whole show? I've not seen the whole show. Oh. It's like a um, true fan. It, it is funny that um, one of my favorite stories is that fans of the show were so furious when the first movie came out. Really? Because the first movie kills off all the characters from the show in the opening scene and then makes the main character of the show the villain of the movie. <laughs> They're all played by different actors, but... Oh, okay. Because like, Tom Cruise is the new recruit or the new member of the team. Yeah. Um, and then they all get killed in the false flag and it turns out John Voight, who's playing the main character from the show, um, is the is the mole. Um, that is very funny. I just like that there were super fans of Mission Impossible who, in 1995, were were crawling. Oh my god! They're what crawling are they, out of the woodwork to yell about how doing they doing to my show. It's literally equivalent of all those people get so mad at the Last Jedi for quote unquote what it did to Luke. Except it's about the Mission Impossible TV show from 1969. Wow. Way to bring up episode eight. <laughs> yeah. I just like that those people existed for Mission Impossible 1, and it's very silly to me. Yeah. Um, that they're all like, they're ruining it. Jim Phelps was a hero. How how long before had the show been canceled for? Um, when did, Let me look up when the last episode of Mission Impossible aired. Because if it was like 20 years ago, it's like, bitches, get over it. <laughs> Um, it started airing in 1966 and it ended in 1973. So it'd been like 22 years. Get the fuck over it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That is very funny. I just, I, I think about it often that the, that the true fans of the show were so upset by this. John Boyd was in mission impossible. And like the mission impossible show, like the gimmick is like every week they get a mission and they go and do it. And now the gimmick of the movie is Tom Cruise will attempt to die for your viewing pleasure. <laughs> that is what the movies have become yeah. at this point. Um, One day he'll succeed, but today is not that day. Yes. He has, um, it's when he jumps into a volcano. He jumps, jumps from a space station into a volcano. Yeah. He's got to make the precision dive. My favorite thing about all these crazy stunts is how they rationalize in the story why he has to do well, them. Well, do you know how they make those movies? They do the stunts and film it around it. They figure out what stunts they want to do. Yeah. Then they film them, and then they figure out the story. That's fucking bonkers. The Tom Cruise jump riding his bike off the cliff. They did not know what he was riding the bike off the cliff in pursuit of. They just knew he's ride- jumping off a cliff, and he's going to aim for a train. We don't know who's on the train. We don't know what is on the train. 
But we know there's a train, and we know he's jumping off a cliff I just, to get to the that's train. That's so stupendous to me. It's insane. Can't, they should start taking fan letters and recommendations <laughs> yeah. of what he should do next. It should be like a podcast show where it's like, all right, on today's episode of Tom Cruise does some like, crazy I shit. I listened to Chris McQuarrie's interviews for Dead Reckoning. He did a 12-hour interview with Empire. It was incredible. If you like movies, you should listen to it, even if you don't like that movie, just to hear about the production. Um. But he is like, yeah, so I was like, yeah, I my two big things, I figure out what do I want to see in the movie, or like my two big set pieces, and I was like, I want to do a train, and Tom wanted to jump off a cliff with a bike. And he's like, all right, and then I talk to the marketing team, and I say, okay, what five visuals do you need for a trailer? Um, and then they tell him the five things they need for a trailer. He's like, all right, I've satisfied marketing, I've satisfied myself, the studio will not be mad at me now because there is I explicitly am giving them a marketing material. Now I'm going to figure out what the story is to fit all this in, and it'll make a million dollars either way. And it makes so much money. Yeah, and they're they're good. That's the crazy thing is that they're all good. <laughs> but how are they good? <laughs> it's great because it, just hearing him describe his process, it it's like he just meticulously and rigorously work on those movies. And they figure out the story as they film it, and then they just endlessly edit and, you know, go do pickup shots. They test in front of audiences week after week, figure out, okay, what did they not like this time? What worked? And just, over time, make the movie. It just seems like such a phenomenon that I don't know how it could be replicated 20 years in the future with a different actor. Yeah, I don't think, like, hearing him describe how he makes his movies, I'm like, this only works if your name is Chris McQuarrie and you are working with Tom Cruise. I do not think the normal person could replicate this production method. Like, who's the person that you pick up off the street and be like, I want to make an eight-part movie franchise that's just you doing batshit crazy yes. stunt stuff? Because, like, even in the first one, while it doesn't start off that yeah. way, there's still, like, even hints of it. Like, with the him, yeah. like, rappelling off the ceiling and well, shit. Well, it's like, the first three have, like, stunts in them, but it's nothing crazier than, like, a normal movie stunt. Yeah. The thing is, Tom Cruise in 2000. Mission Impossible 3 only makes, like, a decent profit. It's not hugely successful. Right. Even For, though it's the best one. It's it's good. I like it. It's the best villain. Um, they're all good. The second one's the only one that I'm, like, iffy on, but they're all good. Um, he, Paramount's basically ready to dump him, and he lobbies to do Mission Impossible. We've talked about it in the show We before. talked about this, yeah. He lobbies to do Mission Impossible 4, and he's like, and they're like, okay, you can be in it, but it has to be a torch-passing movie. And that's where um, Jeremy, Jeremy Renner, Renner comes is supposed in. to take over the franchise. And then Tom Cruise is like, okay, I lost a lot of the public because of my couch jumping thing. People think I'm a weirdo now. Well, and Katie Holmes. Yeah, and Katie Holmes. Well, yeah, Katie Holmes. That happens around this time. Around I'm this time. Sure. And he's like, okay, people think I'm a weirdo now. And, and so <laughs> he's like, what if I just make that my movie persona now that I am insane and so from ghost protocol onward every tom cruise movie is kind of about how insane tom cruise is tom cruise is and it's like i'm just gonna do crazy stuff and run off the side of buildings and jump on planes and skydive into paris it's like i'm just gonna make that my persona now and people are gonna love it and they do and these movies make so much money and they're all good 1969 um I'm going to get back to it. Watch how I'm going to do this. We're almost done this movie. So they, they break in and they find their draft cards and Downey takes his out. And he, he's like, he tries to take Kiefer's out. And Kiefer's like, no, leave mine in. 
I don't feel right taking it out. And Danny's like, man, they're going to call you. And then some cops show up. And they go up to Winona, and they're like, what's going on? He's like, oh, I'm just looking for my dog. And then um, the dog's right there. And the dog is standing next to the grate where you hear gong, 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 of all of the guys. And so the cops are like, what's going on? And so they run to the door, and they go in. And they get, and then Downey gets caught. Yeah, Downey um, takes the fall. He actually puts Kiefer's thing back in the slot yeah. so that they won't, it won't be missing so they won't suspect him. Yeah. He's kind of tries to take the fall. Kiefer hides another room. Downey gets caught immediately. Kiefer um, tries to like say, I was here too. And they're like, and Downey's like, no, I was just me. It was just me. So Downey gets arrested and put in prison. Yeah. Um, For, you know, breaking into the draft office. I, I, this might be a so just stupid question, but like they couldn't draft prisoners. I don't think they could. Could let me actually look that My up. My only point in saying that is like that's one way to not get drafted. Just go to jail. I'm looking up. Could prisoners be drafted? If so, that's re- that's another level of fucked upness that you can um, draft prisoners. Okay, it doesn't look like it. Um, it does look like there was a consideration. Uh, that's that's modern. Yeah, it doesn't look like it looks like you. If you were in prison, you were just in prison. They yeah. didn't want you in the. That's military. one way to not get drafted. Yeah. Um, um. So the next thing I remember is uh, there's a couple big things. One is the scene between the dad and the mom. Yes. Which is good. I like that scene. The mom has like a full breakdown over yeah. the you know the death of their the MIA ness of their son. But she knows that that means he's dead. Yeah, he's gone. Yeah. And the dad's, you know, Bruce Dern's struggling to comfort her. It's a very nice scene. Yeah. Um, the two actors are doing very nice work. Um, just, you know, it's, but, it's, hard, it's hard to care. But. It's hard to care. Yeah. And then, you know, she is basically leaves Bruce Dern. She kind of pushes him away. And then he goes wandering the streets and he goes to. Downey's mom's. The Downey home. <laughs> the um, Downey home. Yeah. Um, where he, you know, makes out with. Um, Downey's mom. Downey's mom, who we've established is single. And it, I was confused because I thought in the movie that it almost seemed like they had a thing going on earlier. Maybe the, it's very vague. But it is very vague. Like maybe they did, but I don't know. The same point in time when Nona and Kiefer are hanging out. Yeah. and In the van. Yes. And they make a deal that they're going to leave. And so Winona, like, They're going to go to Canada. Yeah, Winona climbs out the window and comes down, and they drive off. Um, This is all happening the night of the moon landing. Yes, One very important. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Um, you know what the best opening to any movie ever is? Well, you've said moon landing, so now I'm thinking of every moon landing movie. Oh, Transformers yeah, 4. Yeah, Transformers 3. See Dark how I got moon. there with that logic yeah. of, yeah. Um, which starts with them... Which starts with the Cybertronian ship crashing on the moon, and then Neil Armstrong and Fuzz, Neil and Fuzz them Aldrin. creating the space program so yep. they could get there before yeah. the Russians did. It's all very funny, but I li- the thing I like in that movie is the opening credits, <laughs> which are <laughs> Nixon giving his like call to them on the moon, overlaid with a fly through of a Transformers ship, um, and he's like, "You're." We will be in heaven and earth together and be safe. And the whole time you're saying, <laughs> it's so funny. It's so silly. Yeah. Um. Anyway, 69, Um. Yeah, which dr- is what Winona and Keeper are doing. Hey. hey. No, no, no. But they are fucking. Yeah, they have, they have sex. 
Yeah. And they go to visit Downey in prison before they go up, and he finds out they're sleeping together. And he's like, you bo- you balling my sister, You're bro? You balling my sister? He's just balling my sister. Balling. And, like, right. he's balling my sister. And he, like, tries. He's like, you're not. We're not friends anymore. And I was like, no, it's consensual. <laughs> um, um. <laughs> wow, it's the way you said that. It's like, kind of the scene. It's consensual. It's kind of the scene. Oh, my God. I mean, like, movie-wise, it shouldn't feel weird because sh- they're only a year apart, technically yeah. speaking. Movie-wise, they're a year apart. In real life, they're, like, five years apart. Yeah, a little um, weird. It's a little weird. Because she's 15 turning 16 in the movie. Yes. And he's, like, 20-something, 20 2021. I think he's even older. I think he's 22. Yeah, I believe he is. So... They get in their VW van. They drive head for Canada. Yeah, they head for Canada. And we get a, a scene that I really do like. Um, oh. Which is they pull up behind a military convoy, and Kiefer honks his horn, and then he pulls up next to them. Yeah, and Winona just rolls down the window. Do the, does she the does the peace sign, and she gives this like really um, fun like expression on her face. <laughs> it's a scrunched up nose bit. It's a scrunched up nose bit. Yeah, um, and it just like gets to like her innate likability. Um, it's a good usage of like her likable persona. Yeah, um, she's like you know just. Um, her doing the peace sign. Flashing the down. peace sign. It's at a all good these. imagery, yeah. And all these military guys are like, yeah, peace. Yeah. Um, she's like, you know, building a bridge. And then we get to the scene where they park the car next to a field where they're going to walk across the border. I like this scene. Yes. Mostly what happens at the end. Yeah. Because if the, the movie is, the, the idea this movie is trying to do is it starts with two brothers in conflict. One's a soldier, one is against the war. And the end of the movie is kind of like the, you know, we should all come together. Those of us who are being used by the military and those of us who are sidelined to it, um, we should all come together against this evil thing yeah. and support each other. Yeah. In this struggle. Um. And so it's little scenes like you know Winona just you know flashing the peace sign and all the soldiers like going with it instead of them fighting. Yeah. That is in service of that theme that the movie is otherwise struggling to get to without just being very heavy handed as the final scene mm-hmm. will be. Yeah. Um, but they do pull up to this field and they're getting ready to cross into Canada and they like have a discussion. I was like, we can't go to Canada. <laughs> we got to be with our family. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out my Winona for this. Uh, it is so uh, funny because I hope you never figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I hope we spend the rest of the season. I never just... figured out a Brendan. And my John wow. is really bad. That's just fantastic. Yeah, that's all you that's can all do. I can it's do. just that's just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can do. Um, Brendan, I can do when he yells. Yeah, what? I know. Let's be. I'm trying to think of something. It's like people are amazing. <laughs> that was pretty good. You like that? It's like Alex. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. like that was pretty good, right? I felt You're like just an amazing child. <laughs> that was a whale vision. <laughs> I need to know the one thing I've done is right. something like what that. good thing I've, I've done, done in this life. life. Yeah, something like that. Um, Winona is just like you're just doing a girl voice. It's, it's a, so funny. It's a girl voice with like a Midwest accent. Um, well, that's just fantastic. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Why am I doing Jodie Foster? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's just Sarah, fantastic. you want to hear what's even worse, Doctor Doctor. <laughs> You just said D- Jodie Foster, and I was like, give me back that baby. And I'm like, that's Holly Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
God damn it. Um, we, we should go to hell. Dr. Lecter. <laughs> Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. Right, right, if you can just look at this documentation for me. Help me find Buffalo Bill. <laughs> oh, my God. Silence of the They're pod. making contact. <laughs> yeah. well, do you believe God, in now, now I want to watch Contact. I want to watch Contact, too. It's like the best movie ever. It's really good. It's, so good. it's really good. Um, they're in this field. Yeah, and she comes to her senses like, we can't cross the border. Yeah, we can't just leave our families and everything. And he's like, well, I'll go without you. And then a cop car pulls up. And it's funny. Cause and the it's guy's like, like yeah, yeah. you guys can just drive across the border. It's a free country. And he's like, I'm not going to stop you. Um, and so they, instead of crossing the field, they get back in their car and drive towards the border. Where the guy's so just funny because it's like, it's these two kids that are like trying, thinking they're doing something that's like defiant. Yeah. And it's like, you can just, Drive through. You can just drive through. You're not making a stance, which is what this movie is doing. Yes. <laughs> movie says a lot about not making a stance by not making a stance. Yes. And so as they're driving towards the border, Kiefer pulls a Yui and they drive back home. And then we're just at the funeral. For his brother, yeah. Yeah. And then he gives a Who eulogy. I presume, who I guess has died? They found the body? It sounds like it. Yeah. There's just like a funeral. Um, and so... Then he he gives a eulogy, and in this eulogy, he says like very anti-war, like we all got to come together. Yeah, um, Kiefer gives this this big rousing speech. We all should all march down to the Capitol, yeah, and re-overturn this election. Yes, <laughs> sorry, um, I had to go there. I had yeah. to go there. I had to. He's, do it. He basically gives a speech that's like, "This war is bad. We should stop fighting over it, and we should all join together." Yeah, I'm in support of each other, and to that point, I want to free um downy yeah free we should march him free downy um and, and they, then it's weird because he does put on a mask um and then oh my god he and does. then just go you can start by standing black and free <laughs> see this is what jeff does is whatever he bring fucks Bane up back when he fucks up an impression and can't really quite find the sweet pocket he goes to what he knows he i loves. go back to bane <laughs> you go back to bane or nicholson i'm just always going back to bane, bane nicholson or clinton i'm always going back to bane which of those name me another one outside of those three you're really good at new Gollum. i've never done on this show but i can yeah. do it I feel like everyone tries to do a golem and says it's a good impression. See, Jeff, what you're doing it's is fine. every single yeah, thirty-year-old man impression. does. Yeah, it's everyone's golem impression. And everyone says, "Like, see, isn't it good?" And I'm like, "You're just breathing. Yeah, <laughs> it's all you're doing." I'm not saying it's bad. I'm it's just like saying fine. it's like it's what everybody does. Yeah. Okay, so the, the <laughs> he, he starts marching to the town square. Yeah. Um, and Winona joins him, and then like basically the entire town comes with him, except for his dad. I think uh, his dad comes with him. Well, his dad stays behind with the holding the American folded flag. up flag. Yeah. Um, and then they they're marching down Main Street. Yeah. Um, and then the, a cop car pulls up, and the dad gets out of it, and he joins. Uh, they all come together. And then they free Downey. Yeah. And then the, they just, they just, let they Downey just walk out with Downey and let him go. Didn't know you could do that. Yeah, uh, because at one point he does be like. Officer, you're gonna have to shoot me. Um, now, if he was black, yes, <laughs> that's all I'll say. Yes, that is all I'm going to say about that. Uh, yeah, they succeeded getting him out. I there is one bit of symbolism in this this scene that I liked, even if it doesn't really do much. They walk past a movie theater, and on the marquee, it's Easy Rider, and below it is True Grit that's being taken down. 
um, which is Easy Rider, is the um, beginning of the new Hollywood film movement. I thought you were about to say the name of our podcast, but uh, well, it is actually that is funny that I didn't even think about that. that the show is you called didn't Easy think Rider. About that? <laughs> I didn't think about that until I you just said it. I didn't even make that connection. My God, we are Easy Riders. It and, is seven fifty three p.m. Yes, Central and they time. walk past Easy Rider, um, but Easy Rider is the beginning of the new Hollywood movement, and True Grit is a like a classic western, kind of the end of the the, the new era. Yeah. So it's like quite literally like the new era is being brought in. And if the movie did anything with that, I'd be like, that's a especially cool detail. But it's, it's just like it's a fun bit of set dressing. Down he goes down, the movie ends. Yep. Kiefer embraces with his dad. Yep. Everyone's happy. Yep. Except for the audience. Yeah, except for the audience. He's like, All right. what did I just come watch? It's all six out of ten. Yeah, good performances. Yeah. Some really good performing scenes. Yeah. For Scenes that aren't very well written, but they're very well yeah. performed. Winona's great. I like her in it. Downey and Kiefer have good chemistry. Um, the mom and the dad have some good stuff going on. Yeah, it's about all I can really say about it. It's like it's a totally acceptable movie. Now let's go to the Winona Nose Wrinkle ranking. Yes. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm not. Doing what if that. you did do that? It'd just be the same. Yeah, it'd be the <laughs> same. The for every exact movie. same thing. But yeah, it's it's like a solid on base um, performance for Winona. Yeah, um, she's continuing to just like be good in things. I mean, she and had the wherewithal to know that it was a milk toast script, yeah, she, and watching it, it's like hell yeah, it was a yeah. milk toast script. And it says it's a big flop. It makes a little under six million against a seven million dollar budget, so it's like it lo- it loses money. Um, most of the reviews for it kind of describe it as aimless. Um, it's like a nostalgic fog of a movie, which yeah. I I like that term. I think I read that review too. Yeah, nostalgic fog of a movie. Yeah, or a murky reflection of the Vietnam era. And I mean, it's no doubt like people think of Winona Ryder in this era, and they think of just Beetlejuice and Heather's. They're not thinking about 1969 or Square Dance. It's a movie that the only people who think of are us, (laughs) because we are covering every movie. Yeah. So, but that just makes it more excited that you guys listened to last week Beetlejuice. Maybe listen to this. I don't know. But then we hope you guys will tune in next week for uh, Heather's. Oh, yes. Another amazing. Sorry, I wasn't trying to like crush us yeah. into a segue to the end. Just genuinely just speaking, come, yeah. it's like it's going to be, you know, it, it's. I, I'm i worried. Yeah. Because we've been down this road before. Where we cover a lot of really back to back bangers. And then we get to the doldrum period. Winona does not have as bad of a doldrum period. Because I feel like every Doldrum movie she's done at least has something. Yeah, all of her Doldrum movies are interesting, and there aren't many of them. Yeah. Um, it's like maybe like three movies I'm not excited to talk about um, Yeah. in a row. But for the most part, there's always something interesting around the corner. Yeah. Um, and speaking of around the corner, I, I, do you have anything else to say about this movie? It doesn't, it just, it just, I, no. that's all I have for post-text. No. I love that in the, in the poster, it's an American flag. Just because yes. it's another way of saying it's like this movie's trying to be patriotic and also anti-war. I like Downey as like a specter in the corner I know. of the DVD. Well, that's, I like the IMDb poster better. Yeah, it's it's a better. It's a better poster. That's not a good DVD cover. Kiefer looks photoshopped into it. I like I said it was a the softest six out of ten I can buy. Like it is overall a better movie than it isn't. Like I. I enjoy movies set in this era, so oh, I found like surface pleasure in yeah. it. I'll never watch it again. Yeah, I'm never gonna watch it again. Yeah. Even though I now own the DVD. Um, I mean, how many DVDs on your shelf have you watched more than once? Um, I'd say I see the Alien Quadrology. Yeah. 
How many times have you seen Alien Resurrection? Only once. And I know you're about to watch We're it. We're about to watch time. it a second time for this very show. And aren't we fucking psyched for I'm it? I'm going to watch all the Alien movies again. Building up to it? Yeah. Yeah. I should too. I'm excited. I Alien like 3. Good movie. Say what you will. Say what people will. Not as bad as I thought it was. No, it's pretty good. I watched it because I watched Alien 1 and 2 when I was pretty young. Yeah. I remember watching Alien 3. I'm like, this movie sucks. I like that Alien 3 is such movie. a bummer immediately. Yeah. <laughs> that alien... And it stays that way. <laughs> um, it stays yeah. that way. That Aliens has this extraordinarily rousing finale. Yeah. Which is perfect for that movie. Yeah. But I like that Alien 3 brings it back to like Alien and it's just like, it's a miserable movie. Yeah. Um, it's actually better than people who are listening to this. You probably haven't seen it in a long time. Go and rewatch yeah. it. I bet you'll and watch the assembly cut, not the yes. Cut. Oh my god! Thank you for saying that. The it's not counted the director's cut. I thought no, it because was, Fincher refused to do a director's do cut. a director's cut. So it's the assembly cut. It's what he. It's like what the editor remembers his cut being like. Got it. Um, but it's very good. Yeah, uh, it's like good. I mean, good. It's good. It's good. I'm very good. But it's good. It's good. Um, Alien but 4. Well, we will not be talking about that. We'll be talking about Alien Resurrection. Um, we will have to have a discussion about which version of that movie we're covering, because there are two. There are two? Um, yes. All the Alien movies have two versions. Um, for Aliens, Alien 3, and Resurrection, I think the extended cut's usually preferred. Alien, the director's cut, even Ridley Scott's like, don't watch it. I just did it for the DVD for the hell of it. Oh. Um. It's like fine. This it, the two it adds two scenes and they're not really important. Isn't it, one of them though like the alien kept them alive? Yeah, it contradicts contradicts aliens. Right. Um, because like essentially Ripley finds Yafit Koto and I think Veronica Cartwright or Harry Dean Sam. She finds the two of them like alive and in that little like in like essentially being turned into eggs. Oh, did not clock that. And then Aliens establishes that they're not being turned the, the into The queen eggs. lays the eggs. Yeah, and I so didn't even it kind of that like they were being turned into eggs. Yeah, it kind I of, just thought they were like you know how like they're all propped up yeah. in like the solid goo. Yeah, that's what I clocked it as. Aliens, um, you know, has people locked like kind of stuck in the walls like that as hosts for the chestbursters. Um, Aliens just kind of like has them turning into eggs. Oh yeah, did not clock. It's that. a little weird. Yeah. Um. Yeah, not talking about it, though. Yeah. We'll talk about Alien Resurrection when we get to it. I'm very excited. Me too. Um, but for right now, thank you for listening to this episode on 1969. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to tune next week for episode on Heathers. It promises to be a barn burner. Um, we'll have Rebecca Sweeney on for that one. Sweet. Um, in the meantime, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. As a reminder, we're over on Spotify, Podcast, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Amazon Music, plenty of other places. Hit us with a like and subscribe on um, whatever platforms you have. They are always appreciated, um, and we thank you all for your support every week. Um, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, threads, Blue Sky, at Travolting Pod, Travolting Podcast, if you might comment anything to send to us, r slash Travolting on Reddit if you're interested in that kind of thing. Um, you can find me on Twitter, at Jeff W. Sweeney. Stuart, anything you want to plug? Uh, no. Cool. Um, final plug, special thanks, as always, to Rebecca Johnson for graphic design and Michael Van Bodegum-Smith for the theme music that's now taking you out. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, have a great week, folks. Thank you.